Hello everybody, good morning. Come on, come on in, grab a lollipop, super fast. Um, come and grab your seats, uh, we're going to get started. Um, okay, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, normally when I write a sermon, it, I try and make it about 3,000 words uh, because I know it takes me about 30 minutes, give or take. Um, and this one's 37,000 words, so I'm going to try and get through it, all right? <laughs> um, um, and uh, I don't think we're going to be here quite that long, but um, I'll see what I can do. And I did take out a section this morning, you'd be glad to hear, so it's not going to be too long, but we have got to get through some stuff. I just want to give you a quick update on a, on a few things um, that I've been spending my time doing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the week before last, um, was um, the Christ Central. We, we, as a church, we're part of a movement called Christ Central, which in itself is part of a movement called New Frontiers. That's the, uh, as a church family, that's who we're affiliated with. We're part of New Frontiers. Um, and within that, we're part of Christ Central, which is a group of churches here, there, and everywhere, Ukraine, Romania, Canada, America, South America, Africa, and the UK, amongst other places like Germany. And anyway, uh, so that's just Christ Central. And um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, every six months or so, we have a prayer day for all uh, church leadership to come together and pray together. So I went down to that in Sheffield and stayed the night. John and Kathy actually joined me, which is a real privilege to have them with me rather than me being on my own. It's not so good when you're on your own at those things. And it was great, just really good to come together and pray together, hearing about the uh, 10 or so churches, sister churches of ours in Ukraine, um, hearing an update from there and how those churches are growing in God's name in this time of war. God's using that for revival, which is amazing to hear about. And here, lots of other things. And then the next day, we stayed with just UK leaders. And I had a day just praying with other leaders from around the UK. And it was just brilliant. Uh, this week as well, uh, Jenny and I, there's a problem with the screen. So I'm sorry about that. But they're just going to keep flickering, I think. Um, but uh, this week as well, Jenny and I uh, were invited uh, a few months ago uh, by Terry and Wendy Virgo to come and spend a night with them um, at their home. So Jenny and I are going to go and do that this week. Um, I don't know Terry uh, and, um, and Wendy. I've never met Wendy. Uh, but we're really looking forward to it as a couple to get some time with them. And many of you will know Terry was the guy who uh, God's used really to plant uh, this church movement, which is now thousands of churches all over the world. Um, and we're really looking forward to that. I just ask that as a church family, would you just pray for us as we do that? Um, we don't want to drain the life out of them, but we want to gain stuff from them as well, right? So uh, we're just trying to fix the screen. So don't worry about the lights. We're not going to have a disco. Um, uh, but we just ask that you would pray for us in that. That would be really awesome. So we're there uh, Friday and Saturday we return. Uh, we're traveling down Thursday, we're with them all day Friday, and then we return on Saturday. So uh, it's going to be really good to get that time. We're a little bit nervous, if we're being honest, but just pray for us. That'd be, that'd be awesome. So why don't we just pray, and we're going to jump into the scripture today. Uh, we're continuing in Colossians, and uh, today it's all about who you were. Man, we're going to get some stuff today. I'm excited and nervous at the same time. So Lord Jesus, uh, please just come and be with us. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to be talking about so much stuff today, Lord, but none of that matters unless, Lord, we meet with you. Lord Jesus, we're so uh, keen and, and um, ready, Lord, for you to come and work in our hearts this morning. Lord, if, if there is a staleness in us, if there is a, a resistance in us, Lord, I just pray that would be removed right now. We just say, the Holy Spirit, come and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Okay, so Colossians 3, 1 to 11, it's hopefully going to be on the screen, not flickering, uh, but you can read it in your Bible, and it won't flicker in your Bible. That's the good news, unless you've got a broken phone. Okay, so it says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What? Praise God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived, but now, but now you must also get rid of, rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self and its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Wow, what a scripture that is. Just happened to get that one this morning. Great. Um, so we're going to start by just, I just want to point something out. It's really important in this letter. We've been traveling through this letter. It's got four chapters and we're into the third one. But this is a really good point in the, chap, in the book to point out. It, Paul does this quite often. Uh, there is this moment in the chapter where Paul goes, sorry, in the book where Paul goes from writing about theology and the truth and what's happened and the reality of that. And he goes into, okay, how do you apply this to your life? What does it look like when it's in your life? And he does it in Ephesians, in uh, three chapters are just devoted to uh, reasoning, to teaching, to theology, and then followed by this practical call. In chapter four, starts with this, this call in verse one. It says, as a prisoner of the Lord then... <laughs> I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And he does it as well in Romans, chapters 1 to 11 are all packed with teaching. I mean, Romans are just unreal. But just packed with teaching and truth and rationale and, what, and explaining what Jesus has done and accomplished and now who you are. And then, he's, and then he goes on, he finishes chapter 11 by saying, for from him and through him and in him are all things, to him be the glory forever and ever, amen. So he finishes it with that. And then he says, in chapter 12 starts with saying, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, of you of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. And this is precisely what's happening in the book of Colossians in this moment. There's this moment in this book where because of the truth that you know, because of the truth that you know about Jesus being the one and true and only and all-powerful God, and everything that he accomplished in his life, his death and his resurrection and how you shared in that. Do you remember we've been talking about all this? And now what this means, and 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 it's about how do I change my lifestyle to, to, to fit the truth of what's happened. And it changes the culture that you choose to partake in. It, choose, it changes everything in your life. And in, in doing so in this section, what he's doing is he's saying, hey, the facts of what has happened, the facts that have become reality in your life, they're now going to determine your acts. Your facts determine your Acts. I'm going to do that again. Your facts determine your 
Well, that was really bad. Man, I feel like I'm more energetic than you. Come on. All right, do one more time. Let me hear as loud as you can. Your facts determine your... Facts! Yes, you are here. You're with me. Woohoo! I think. Maybe you just want me to shut up. Okay. And remembering that Paul didn't meet these guys in this church. This, this church he's writing to in Colossae, he's never met them. He doesn't know them. He doesn't know Bill from Bob and Bob from Ben. He doesn't know anybody, right? Like, he, he doesn't know what they get up to. Um, and, and so why can he speak into their behavior? Like, how can he do that if he's never met? He doesn't know who they are. He doesn't know how they behave. Well, there's a couple of things. One is, is that I think maybe Epaphras would have told him a few of the things. You remember, he's the guy who's planted the church and now feeding back to Paul some of the things that are going on in the church. So maybe he shared, oh, you know, you, you know that, that Helen White? Uh, let me tell you a few things about her. There's nothing to tell you about Helen White. She's brilliant. But, you know, like, you, you could imagine that perhaps Epaphras has unloaded some things and told them about some behavioral things that are going on. Don't worry, Helen, I'm just picking on you. Uh, but, you know, but that's it. Like, maybe he's shared a few things about what's going on. But also, let me just say this. I think regardless of whether Paul knew any of them, had heard anything, I think he could have just listed these things and said, hey, stay away from them because they're real issues in any church, in any culture, at any time, whether it was in Colossae 2,000 years ago in Darlow, sunny Monte Darlow today, um, where King's Church is. I think these are things that you could just take a, you know, swing in the dark at and you'd hit something, right? And so we're going to go through them and I'm going to get to them in a second. But let me just remind you of what he's going to be talking about. Sexual immorality. Lust, I know you're all excited, greed, anger, slander, lying. Every culture, every society, every church has people that struggle with these things. And let me just set the tone right from the get-go. <clears throat> this church is packed with lots of people, beautiful people, amazing people. And let me tell you, there are real people in this church that will struggle with the, some of the things that I'm going to talk about this morning from the front. And when I say some of the people, I mean me the people. <laughs> there are people in this room that will struggle with some of the things I'm going to go through, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to list, and some things are going to be quite heavy. But what I'm going to say right from the beginning is it's okay. It is okay. God loves you. Man, does God love you. He has grace for you. You aren't supposed to do it on your own. You're supposed to do it with his strength and in his community. And some of the things we're going to hit on are, are real things, like real things. But let me just say, God loves you. He has grace for you, and it's okay that you struggle with some of these things. What's not okay is if we stay there. What's not okay is if the Holy Spirit comes and just convicts us of something this morning, and we know in our hearts that we don't praise God, we don't worship God in that area of our lives. And we just say, well, that's just who I am. Actually, no, Paul is arguing with you here, not me. Paul is arguing with you that that's not who you are anymore. And that there is grace and forgiveness for you and that there is strength for you. Amen? Amen. I need to hear you with me on that bit. Amen. Amen. You're with me. Come on. We're going to do this together. So what Jesus is calling us to do this morning is to take this seriously. Um, let's kick it off real quick uh, with this, this, this first section 
um, just this first little paragraph because it's really important. I don't want to just jump over that to the juicy bits. I want to talk about the bit that's really important there at the beginning. In verse 1 to 4, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, so your hearts and your minds, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul sets out, right, before we jump into the details of the things that we need to, we need to kill, we're going to get to that, he kicks off by saying, hey, right from the beginning, the foundation needs to be, where is your heart and your mind set? Is it on things above, on what Jesus has done and what he has accomplished, or is it on things on this earth that are actually just temporary? Man, how many days of my life do I wish I could get back about worrying about things that are so temporary that actually didn't even happen? Anybody with me on that? Like, just, just, just didn't even happen, and yet I find myself worrying about things that I'm like, man, that wasn't even a real thing, and I just made it up in my head. And Paul says, hey, as believers... As followers of Christ, first and foremost, we must set our minds, our hearts on him. Because if we're associated with Jesus in his death and resurrection, we're also associated with him in his victorious ascension. At the right hand of God, we, we are spiritually united with him. Richard uh, Melech, he's an American scholar. They're, they do have some. Uh, he, he said, sorry, that was a dig, that was uncalled for. Uh, he says this, he says, this command called the Colossians, or you and me here today, to focus on matters related to the rule of Christ in the world. Since he is the sovereign one, his concerns should occupy the Christian. He is sovereign, he reigns and he rules, so therefore that's what should occupy our minds and our hearts. Believers' values and our lives, our values and our lives, are to be focused on the rule of Christ. And concentrated energies were to be devoted to making that rule a reality here on earth. So everything we're about to read about, everything we're about to go into is about making Jesus's rule, his sovereignty in our lives and in this world. It's about making that a reality here on earth. In earth as in heaven. On earth as in heaven, sorry. That's what it's about. It's about everything we're about to go through is about making that reality, reality here now in my life, in my family, in my home, in my church, in my workplace. It's about making all those things a reality. So uh, let's get into the uh, bits that he talks about, about behavior. Okay, so, so Paul says in order to make that rule and that reign a reality in our lives, there are things that we need to deal with. He says, put to death, therefore, verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. <laughs> you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all, such, all of these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Do not lie to each other. Okay, so we're talking through um, a little bit, and I've bunched them together in groups, otherwise we'd be here all day talking about each one individually. And the first little group of four, which is uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires, um, uh, we're going to call that group sensuality, 
I love that word. Everybody say with me, sensuality. Is that a good word or what? Um, <laughs> and this group, uh, those projectors are playing havoc today, aren't they? I think we should just kill them. Um, like we're going to kill these sins. Okay. So this group can be summed up as keeping away from all kinds, every kind of um, immoral sexual relation. And the idea that Paul is proposing, let me just say this, the idea that he's proposing to this church who were steeped in a pagan culture of worshipping whichever God whenever, of, of actually it being okay to engage in this type of behaviour. What he's, what he's proposing about having some sort of refrain in our sexual relations was completely a new virtue that Christianity brought with it. And, and, and I would go as far as saying that this definitely would have been the case in Colossae, but it's also the case here today in Darlington, 2,000 years later. It, and, you know, biblical teaching on sexual relations, sex outside of marriage, it, on, on it being wrong and on living and sleeping with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, not, not being um, committed to one another in marriage, not engaging or watching pornography because it's bad for you, because it's wrong, because it's... It, that, 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 that teaching is almost just as radical today as it was back in Colossae all those years ago. And these things, they're just a common part and parcel, part and parcel of, of society today. The term used here that Paul uses is a general term for sexual immorality, which included premarital sex and extramarital sexual relations. So here's the thing. We, we, we need to talk about sex. Let's just... We need to talk about it. Um, I want to talk about sex. Um, and let me just say this. Sex is good. Paul's not talking about sex the way we've just been talking about. He's talking about sex the way it was designed to be, the way that the Bible teaches about sex and what it's good for and how it's good. And the Bible celebrates sex. There's a whole book about sex. I mean... I could tell you a very good story about that, about a Bible study here, but I'm not going to. But, but there is a whole book about the Bible, about sex, in the Bible about sex. The Bible's not prude. It understands and celebrates it. Um, but to do this, what I want to do is I want to ask you a question. Uh, I want to ask you the question, is fire, fire, as in the flames, is fire a good thing or a bad thing? Both. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's both. Fire is a really good thing. Man, I, like, have you ever been around, like, just having a log fire in the house or having a good coal fire? Man, is there anything better than that real warmth coming off a fireplace? It's just so beautiful, isn't it? So, like, cozies up the soul, you know, like, you, your heart feels warm, let alone your body. It's so nice, isn't it? Or, like, you know, think about the things that we can do with fire, the incredible... Um, Minds that can do incredible things with fire, like blacksmiths who can create incredible pieces of art. Or just think about the way that we manipulate glass with fire. You know, all these types of things where fire is used in this incredible way. But then think about the other side of fire. Like, have you ever been sat around like a campfire and you've got like your brand new jumper on? It's like a lovely woolly one. And then a, a little spit of fire goes and lands on your arm. You're like, oh no, I just got it. Like, you know, just got this jumper. And it just burns it and ruins it. 
Or think about wildfires. Think about the people who have to live with the reality in California or Australia where there's these wildfires that just, that just rip through communities, that rip through people's homes. So is fire a good thing or a bad thing? Well, neither. And, and, and the Bible talks about, about fire and sex in exactly the same way. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man scoop fire? onto his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? And in the same way, sex, which is incredible, there's nothing like it in terms of the gift that God's given us for a man and a woman to connect in the most intimate way. It was designed to be really good, but within the safe environment in which it was designed to be in, just like fire. Sex was designed to be between a man and a woman in marriage who have promised before God and before everybody else that they will stay committed to everybody. Stay committed. And they promised that before everybody, before God, before their friends and family, before everybody, that they will commit to one another until death do them part. And, and that's the, the environment in which sex was supposed to be is supposed to be, is still supposed to be today. And I don't really think, I, to be honest, I don't even think I need to talk about the people in this room that know exactly what I'm talking about. About how when this, this force that was supposed to be in this environment is let, let loose in environments in which it was never supposed to be in. The people in this room that know ex exactly what that burn feels like. When sex is like this spark that jumps out of the campfire and it burns outside of that correct environment. And many people in this room will have experienced that burn. That you would have maybe seen families that were actually doing really well and then, you know, they, they, they had sex before they committed in marriage. Or perhaps they... they they were married and yet they went and looked for that sex outside of the marriage covenant and the absolute devastation the burning that it brings to their lives to people around them I've seen it I've seen family breakups because of it I've seen sons lose their dad because of it it just happens kids losing their parents because they allow this fire to be unleashed in the environment in which it was never supposed to be in, and people get burned. Not only do they get burned, but they find it wasn't exactly what they're looking for. C.S. Lewis, who is awesome, he wrote in his book, Surprised by Joy, he talked about how he pursued these things before he was a follower of Jesus. He says, I repeatedly followed that path to the end. And at the end, one found pleasure, right? We know it brings pleasure which immediately resulted in the discovery that the pleasure was not what I had been looking for. No moral question was involved. It's not like I was a follower of Jesus at the time is what he's saying. At the time, I was nearly as non-moral on that subject as any human creature could have been. The frustration did not consist in finding a lower pleasure. It's not like it wasn't what I was expecting it to be. It was great. It was the irrelevance of the conclusion that marred it. You might as well have offered a mutton chop, or you could say, I don't know how many people eat mutton nowadays, but you may as well have offered a steak covered in salt 
to a man who was dying of thirst as to offer sexual pleasure to, to the desire that I'm speaking of. Joy is not a substitute for sex, but sex is very often used as a substitute for joy. Not only will we find that we will be dissatisfied, it will never satisfy you, it will never fulfill that hole inside of you to be needed, to be wanted, to feel close, to feel connected. That's not what it's for. But actually what we'll find is it will burn people around you. When we look outside of the beautiful environment in which sex was designed for, when we look to uh, sex outside of marriage, when we look to pornography, when we look to flirting with the co-worker or doing it in our minds, when we look to that stuff, it will never satisfy you. It may as well be eating a big chunk of steak covered in salt when you're dying of thirst. It is not a substitute for the joy that Jesus brings to you. It is designed for marriage for two people who were committed in love. And, it, and what you will find is it will burn you and it will burn people around you. That's what sex was designed for. It is good. It is amazing. And it is designed for the beautiful fireplace of marriage. That's what it's designed for. There's nothing else like it when you're married. It brings you together. It unites you. Two becoming one flesh. It's amazing, but it's designed for marriage. And you live in a world, we all live in a world, where we'll see more <laughs> provocative images on a TV one night in adverts and programs than our grandparents saw in a whole lifetime. We will see it pushed towards us, and people will tell you, it's okay, it's normal, it's totally normal. Jenny and I, by the grace of God, we managed to make it all the way to our wedding day before we had that relation with one another. And I feel like it's rare, right? And my parents, who aren't believers, were seriously worried for me. Like, genuinely, like, you haven't done it yet. Like, how do you even know you're going to be compatible? And I'm like, I, well, I'm you can laugh, it's okay. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure she's a woman and I'm a man and we'll figure it out, right? Like, the world tells you it's normal, like, I, I play guys, uh, play, play football with guys on Friday night. They all openly talk about the porn that they watch. It's totally acceptable. It's totally normal. The Bible says it's bad for you. It will eat your soul up. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it won't let you go. It's dangerous. And Paul says, what? To kill it. To put it to death. Don't do it. Don't partake in it. The world might say it's okay, but it's just not. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and take you deeper than you want to go and it will never let you go. It's only through the power of Jesus that you can say, I don't need that. That is not the joy. It's not going to give me the joy I'm looking for. Just like C.S. Lewis wrote about. It's not a substitute for the joy that Jesus brings. Okay, I know. I told you to get heavy, didn't I? Okay, second group. And I promise these two won't take as long. Second group is materialism. Everybody say materialism. Good, you're all still with me. You haven't fallen out with me. That's great news. Okay, so we're not going to spend too much time on this. I don't think I need some in-depth teaching on this this morning necessarily, but, but just uh, two things, greed and idolatry. It's what Paul points out. These two things that we jump into in terms of materialism. And, and the reality is, is that greed, it relates to this inner working within myself. 
you can have greed in abundance and you can be really good at hiding it from people. You can have a real need within yourself and it's this motivation to have more and more and more. And, and <clears throat> that's what greed is. It's a need to continuously acquire more than you need, whether it be food, whether it be money, whether it be success, it can be a whole number of things. But generally, greed is something that you, you can have go on inside of you and you can do a really good job of hiding it from other people. It might be that, um, <clears throat> it might be that you really do a good job of hiding your need to save and save and save and stock up all of your money in the bank account or your pension pot's really fat and really big and you've been really working at that for years. And actually, it's a, it's a form of greed and only you know whether it's a need in your life, but it's just become deep-rooted in you. And actually, the way that that manifests itself, the way that that plays out, is idolatry. That's what the Bible teaches. You see, greed is the desire to, that will never be satisfied. And if you have a greed for money, like I said, you'll never reach a limit of having enough. That's the reality of it. But when greed gets a foothold in our lives, actually... We end up worshipping and serving the very thing that we thought would fulfill us, that would make us feel safe, that would make us feel complete. We end up worshipping that and it becomes an idol in our lives. The very thing that you thought would bring satisfaction to you, you spend your life trying to satisfy. Build up my pension pot, build up my bank account, whatever it is. Ephesians 5, 5, hopefully it'll come on the screen. <clears throat> playing games with us this morning. It says this, for this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person such, as, such a person as an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. We're supposed to put our things aside. You know, Jill shared about not seeing our own things as our own, but actually being a, a community that is open to <clears throat> seeing God use what we have, what we possess for his kingdom. And the last one in this group is negative emotions and relationships. I'm not going to get you to say that, but negative emotions and relationships. This includes anger, rage, malice, which I, I don't know. I don't use malice day to day, do you? Like, oh, it's very malice, you know. But malice is just harming somebody. Slander and filthy language are what we would call swearing. Wow, okay. <laughs> well, the first thing to say is, well, let's talk about anger. Let's talk about bitterness. So I, I want to say this. Here's the thing. You, you might be the world's calmest person on the surface, right? Like you might be like, I don't have a problem with anger. I don't have a problem with rage. I don't have a problem with this stuff. But actually... He's not just talking about these bursts of anger that we see people have. I mean, you've met those people. You remember those people. But the people that just can get by looking peaceful, looking very harmonious. But actually, what Paul's addressing is also this long, quiet, stewing, seething, lingering bitterness anger. You know, like you might be like, oh man, I can, I can quite hide quite easily my anger towards that person, but actually it just comes out in passive aggressive comments. It comes out when I walk into a room and I see them and I just do this like, this sigh. Or when I roll my eyes to somebody across the room at something they've just said. Paul's addressing every type of anger. It's not just the, you know, the people who are like, those people, 
if, if that's you, uh, like, you know, you should be listening too. But we're talking about, we're talking about this anger that's deep-rooted, that we've allowed to take hold of our life. And actually, as followers of Jesus, in this new life of Christ, in Christ, we need to stop those habits of this uncontrolled temper. Now, you might think it's an under control because you've never shouted at that person, you've never been mad at that person outwardly. But actually, just because you've, you, you're not showing it on the surface doesn't mean you've got it under control. And maybe there's just a few people, you've just, just you know, passive-aggressive comments at them every now and then. Actually, they really upset you a few years ago because they walked past you at church and didn't say hello, and you picked up your bat and went home. And actually, deep down, you're just angry at them. Maybe they just didn't turn out to be the person that you expected them to be, or they said something hurtful about you to somebody else, and you've never approached that person like Jesus asked us to, but you just keep it. Deep down inside of you, you never approach them about it. Like you might do a really good job of pretending you're not angry about it. But how does that play itself out in your life? There's a couple of things I just want to mention. Why, why does Paul address these things? Like, like, these are Christians, right? Like, they're people like you and me. They have the Spirit of God in their hearts. The people in Colossae, he's writing to. They, they have the Spirit of God in their lives, in their hearts. They're, you know, they're, they're filled with the Spirit. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're Jesus-following Christians like you and like me. And yet Paul's choosing to write to them about these little things, these little character things, like lying, like swearing, all those types of things, like, like the way that we speak to each other. Let me tell you, some of the sharpest, harshest, angriest, most insulting things that have ever been said to me have been said by believers. And, and, and I know I'm not alone. I talk to people all the time who tell me about a hurt that someone, you know, brought to them, something somebody said, the way somebody spoke about them, the way somebody lied to them, the way that somebody didn't stand up for them. Christians actually could be some of the most hurtful people <laughs> you'll ever come across. I think it's because we expect better. Sometimes we let our guard down and we forget that we're all in the need of a saviour. Just like me, just like you, we all need Jesus. You know, a couple of years ago, I heard about a pastor in the US. A friend of mine, another pastor, told me about this pastor in the US. He was the same age as me. Um, and he led a church, quite a big church in the US. He had three beautiful children and a wife. And he was leading this huge church for years. And he was struggling with the stress of the job, with anxiety. And um, he, he found it really hard and eventually he fell into depression. And one day he felt that the only way to deal with what he was feeling in that moment, the only way to deal with it, to, to get rid of it, was to kill himself. And this pastor killed himself. And I was so sad reading that story. Like I, I went online, went onto the newspaper page, a friend sent me and I read it. My heart was so sad about this pastor. And I thought it was as sad as I could be about that column, about that story, until I got to the bottom of the page where there was the comments section. And these so-called Christians, with one call on them from Jesus, to love God and to love other people, the greatest commandment, 
And they felt it was appropriate to go out of their way to tell everybody else who was reading that article exactly where they thought that pastor had gone. And they felt the need to share their own opinion or their own judgment, their own conviction that this pastor was now in hell because he'd taken his life. They felt that was the best way to love his children and love his wife in that moment. That's what they thought. Paul addresses these things. You know, it's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And your job is to love. Full stop. He addresses these very things, Paul. And he says, you don't partake in these things anymore. You must kill it. It's not who you are. You've got a problem with anger, whether you hide it well or not. Your passive-aggressive comments, your lingering bitterness, stop it, get help, kill it, deal with it. Are you gossiping? Stop. Have you told a lie about somebody or slandered someone? You might not even have said it. You might have just insinuated it. Don't do it. Apologize, repent, ask for forgiveness, and don't do it again. Do you have an issue with swearing? You might say, well, I only swear every now and then. I only swear in the car when that guy cuts me off. I know who you are. But the Bible's clear. Hey, brothers and sisters, that's not who you are. And guess what? You don't have to fix it in your own strength. You can allow Jesus to take it from you. You can kill it in Jesus' name. And to finish, what's Paul's reason for pleading with us? Well, to stop that type of behavior, well, it's to put off the old self. To say, hey, this is where I've come from. All this behavior I've brought with me, all that I brought with me, all of my culture, all of my thoughts, all of my reasoning, all of my old coping mechanisms, all of those things that I've brought to make myself feel more secure, that security is now in Christ. That joy to be found isn't in the things that the world offers me. It's now in Christ. That strength that I used to gain from trying to get popularity, from gossiping about people or trying to get in with the crowd by lying about somebody or by making myself look better than I actually am or that trying to make myself look big in front of my pals at football by swearing when nobody else is from, from church is there. I don't need to do that anymore because Jesus is in, I'm in Christ and he is everything. And he brings everything for me. Everything in life is found in Christ. And everything the world has to offer me is futile. So I'm going to take my mind, my heart of things of this world and I'm going to focus them on Christ. So why does Paul say we need to do this? Well, we need to be renewed in his image. That's what he says. 1 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is... I'm going to do it again. The new is... Yeah. It's here. It's not coming. Oh, we're just going to wait on you, Lord, and hopefully I'll be a new person. No, it's here now. As soon as you accept Jesus, like, I'm, I'm new. I'm born again. Everything is gone from the past. And anything that is, I'm, I've kept hold of from my old life, 
I'm going to put it to death. And we're going to put it to death this morning. And the second part, real quick to finish, of why we do this. Well, because it changes things in this room. It changes things between me and you. It changes things between you and the person sat next to you. It changes things with you and other believers. And the person that you work with changes things in your family. It changes everything. Paul says in verse 11, here there is no, let me say this right over this church, there is no Gentile or Jew, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, there's no barbarian or Scythian, there is no slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Let me read that again and explain what that means. There is no Jew or Gentile. Religious barriers are gone in this room in the name of Jesus. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. <laughs> Sorry, religious barriers, circumcised or uncircumcised. There is, no, there is no Greek or Jew. There is no racial barriers in this room. There is no cultural barriers in this room, barbarian or Scythian. And there are no social barriers in this room, slave or free. I don't care if you're rich or poor. If you've you got black skin or you've got white skin. If you uh, uh, feel like you work at the top of the chain in this world or at the bottom of this chain in this world. I don't care whether you're a road sweep or whether you're a CEO. In this room, we are all called to be brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. We are called together as one family. Under Christ, Christ is in all and Christ is all. He is everything. And when we put these, this behavior aside, guess what? We find unity. Where there was once disunity, there is now unity in Jesus. Where the world tells us there is a difference between us, the Bible says, no, there is no difference between you. You are a saint and you have found your savior. He has found you, called you by name, and you are called into the community of Christ together. I don't care whether you're from Romania, from Hong Kong, from Nigeria, from, from Bishop Auckland. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you've done in your life, whether you've acted like a saint all of your life, like my wife, or whether you're, you've acted like a sinner all your life, like me. You all needed a savior. And in this room, you find unity. You find togetherness. And where this stuff is dead, where this behavior is put to one side, where it is killed, actually you find that, that anger disappears. You find unity with your brother in Christ. You find forgiveness. I'm going to have to stop talking. John 13, 35, I'm going to finish this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus calls us to be a people of love to people who put aside who we were and all that we were and instead to pick up and put on all that we are in Christ. Bissy, can you come up? Graham and the band, we're just gonna finish with a song. I'm gonna encourage you all to stand. I know you've been sat for a long time. I'm sorry I went on so long, but I did tell you it was a long one. Why don't we stand? <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we have, I mean, I feel tired. I don't know if anybody else does, but we've gone through some stuff there. But Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come and you gently lead us 
you gently lead us towards you, Lord Jesus. I thank you that these things that we have talked through this morning are not new issues. They're not new problems. We've been dealing with these issues for thousands of years. And yet, Jesus, in you, we find the strength to deal with them. Thank you that we're not reliant upon ourselves. We're not reliant on what we can do, on what we can beat, on what we can conquer. We understand that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus because of you, because of, because of us being in you, Lord Jesus.